0: their wisdom and the things they've learned along the way. Many of our listeners on the Sandro Forte podcast will know I raised a fairly substantial amount of money last year by sleeping rough in London for just one night, I dare I say. But it was the coldest night of the year in 2021 and I wondered how anyone could possibly live like that. But For too many people, I'm afraid, they do live just like that for many, many years. During my ordeal, I have to describe it as an ordeal, I met a very lovely young lady by the name of Kerry Douglas. And for reasons you're about to find out, I simply had to have Kerry as a Sandro Forte podcast guest. I'm gonna say no more because I'm gonna let her tell her really, really amazing story. It's one of hope uh, and inspiration and resilience. But I do have to add the caveat that one or two of our listeners may find some of the content today distressing. I do need to say that. But I am thrilled, as I say, to be joined by Kerry Douglas. Kerry is a survivor of a long-term, rough sleeping life. I think that's the only way we can describe it. And it is now her life's mission to see an end to homelessness. and, And everybody is in support of Kerry on that one. She's now a public speaker who has been invited to share her experiences at the Houses of Parliament, to name but one. And is also the author of a wonderful book called Gutter to Glory, a book sharing her amazing, remarkable story of how she overcame significant challenges throughout her life. I am gonna say no more than that because I'm in danger of stealing her thunder. Kerry, thank you so much for joining us on the Sandro Forte podcast today. So let me just uh, help the listeners get some perspective here, Kerry. How long were you living rough?
1: So, from the age of thirteen to twenty-four, so around eleven years—not consistently for eleven years, on and off. But when I was nineteen, from the age of nineteen to twenty-four, I was on the streets consistently.
0: Wow! And just for again, for a bit of perspective, this was not a cozy doorway uh, with a with a comfortable mattress and a pillow and, and a duvet. Uh, just if you if you can if you feel able, Kerry, tell us. Uh, you know briefly about some of the things that you and other people who have spent many many years on the streets some of the things that happen just to give people an appreciation of the the difficulties the challenges that you faced
1: okay so the worst thing is getting moved on con- continuously so you would it doesn't matter where you lo- like sleep you would get moved on by the police in the mornings or the the owners of a shop or something like that um you weren't allowed to, see, you're not. I don't know if it's in place yet, but the Vagrancy Act is being dropped. But um, a few weeks ago, it was in effect that you couldn't sleep rough or you couldn't beg, it was against the law. So it was a constant battle. You'd get woken up, moved on at silly o'clock in the morning before, so like five, six o'clock in the morning before businesses start to open and people start to take notice. Um, the weather it was the, the the cold weather the hot weather all different sorts of weather um it's hard to explain really in 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 as a as an answer to a question um it was difficult it was hard to it was like a groundhog day every day was the same but a different day if that makes sense um you're just constantly in that. Cycle of wake up, beg, go and do what you have to do, whether it be, if you're addicted to substances, you go and get your substances. If you were going to a day center to buy your lunch or whatever, you'd go down and do that. Then that would close, and then you'd move on to the the soup kitchens and stuff. And then the cycle would just continue every day, you know. So, but the it it was to be made to feel like you weren't worthy or you weren't a human. That was the worst thing about it. Um, So, because there's that stigma that surrounded, that surrounds homelessness, like they're dirty, they're trumps, they don't care, they, they choose to be there. Because there's so much of that stigma attached to the issue, it's very discriminative. Is that the right word to use? You know, so when you're in that position, I mean, I know a lot of homeless people say the same. The one thing that means most is when people stop and say hello and talk to you and make you feel like you're normal. So it's that the worst feeling is the degrading, the the, the feeling degraded when nobody thinks you, you deserve to even be here sort of thing. Does that make sense? Does that answer the question a little bit? I think I it
0: does. Been... It does. And I have spoken to a number of other people who have been through similar experiences. And, um, you know, at another end of the of the uh, the spectrum, I guess, is, you know, I've heard of stories of people being urinated on. There's a lot of sexual abuse. And, and just coming back to one of the things that you mentioned just a moment ago, Kerry, there is this stigma, there is this uh, ignorance around homelessness where I think for many people, they think that homelessness is a choice, that they are all alcoholics, they are all drug users. And actually one of the things that I learned on the 22nd of November was that actually substance abuse and alcoholism often comes after homelessness, not before. So it's not a cause of homelessness, it is a consequence of homelessness. Do you mind just kind of expanding on that little bit? Because I know you talk about it in your book and, and some of the other things where you do your, you know, give your talks.
1: Can I just rewind a minute as well? Just back to it, like you saying about people being urinated. and I was urinated on a few times, but I've also seen women get set fire to in their sleeping bags. You know, it's so severe what people on the streets go through. You know, it's like if someone's come out of a nightclub at two o'clock in the morning. There's either like, the the rowdy bunch that want to cause trouble and call you all the dirty this, dirty that's under the sun, or you've got the flip side, you've got a load of randy old men that want to get... Do you know, like, want you to do business and stuff like that? And it's like... but, but. I don't mind to say it's harder for women on the streets, but it kind of is a little bit because it's more, there's more predators looking for women than there is men, if that makes sense. So, you know, it's important to stay safe at all times. But yeah, you know, you said about substance abuse. I was, I was like experiencing rough sleeping from the age of 13. And I didn't start taking drugs until I was 17. I mean, I smoked weed, like my mom gave me my first joint when I was 13. But the the proper exposure to substances in the in the in the sector of homelessness like heroin and crack I wasn't exposed to that really until I turned 17 and that materialized even more the the more life crumbled should we say the more stuff that happened in life the more I deteriorated and just took more and more substances to block it all out you know it was just like a a, I mean these like heroin is a natural pain relief isn't it you know used in the correct ways like morphine and stuff but on the on the flip side it numbs the pain in your your mind and in your in do you know what I mean I'm not condoning it but it's hard to explain but that's the reason why most people take it you know it's like I I like to throw out the the the, the picture of when you've had a long day at work and it's stressful and you just oh you just feel like you need to release when you come home like, whether you be a glass of rosé or a bottle of Budweiser, everyone just, likes. It. well, not, it doesn't even have to be alcohol, it has to, like, run in a bath or whatever, just something to, like, oh, you know, and then that's all homeless people are doing, you know, it's, like, trying to make the best of a bad situation, you know, and, all right, it's copious amounts, but if you go through what we go through on the streets or, like, the life before or something, you need something that's going to wipe it away. Does that make sense? It
0: does. And then the other thing I, I I do know, of course, is a lot of children are born on the streets. Right. You know, I, not just necessarily as a result of sexual abuse, although that is a, a large part of it. But, you know, sometimes relationships form uh, you know, and children are being born on the streets, which is, you know, in this modern society is almost unthinkable.
1: The sad thing is, though, they're instantly removed as well, but without giving chance. You know, there's so many kids that have been taken off of women on the streets, including myself. Like my my little boy wasn't born onto the streets, but I was homeless when he was born and I didn't get the right support from the services I was entitled to, you know, because I was under a full care plan myself. I was only 19 and they took my son away and that made things worse if they had given me that opportunity to look after my son the one thing I craved in the world like all I ever wanted my whole life was to feel loved and then I was given this opportunity to feel unconditional love and it's taken from me you know so that made matters worse not you know so it escalates from there people don't realize that when women lose their babies when they're on the streets and stuff that's their one thing that's that's whole, if that makes any sense. That's the one thing that's precious to them, and then it gets stolen away, and then there's a lack of trust again in the system because it's like, well, why are you not giving me the chance to parent? How dare you steal my right to parent? You know, so yeah, it's it's sad. It's a sad cycle because those kids as well. Those kids as well, they grow up th- feeling like they're unloved and that their parents don't care. When actually, it's the it's the authorities that have painted that picture of like you don't care sort of thing. Does that make sense?
0: It does. And I think we all accept, just from listening to you now, but certainly from my own experience, you talk about the system, which is fundamentally broken. Um, I I mean, I love the fact that you have this ambition to end homelessness and, you know, everyone is in support of of that ambition. But I guess, without wanting to run ahead of ourselves here, Kerry, do you think, and again, this is, you know, the, the podcast is not a political platform, but do you think that um the difficulty with homelessness is that because it's not a vote winner for governments because I'm not going to say no one cares people do care but do politicians care enough to really be really have homelessness at the top of their agenda because as a manif- as a manifesto item it's not the sort of thing that people sit up and take notice of unfortunately so do you generally think that there is an end to homelessness in sight or um is this something that will be an ever ending Um, ambition that's never quite fulfilled?
1: It breaks my heart to say it, but I don't think we can ever solve it because like even now the cost of living's going up and um, the eviction ban's been lifted. So more people are at risk and we're seeing rises instead of reductions, you know, and it's just like, it's not the top priority in parliament to, to resolve homelessness or other issues that surround homelessness. You know, they're saying about all these county lines and and trying to stop the drug, drug dealers and stuff. Well, it's just, it's a vicious circle. They're not gonna be able to solve each one because, They've got to be able to do that. They do. They need to rip apart the system they have in place and start from scratch and say, actually, do you know what? These systems have been, some like the Vagrancy Act's been going since 1824. Whoever created that Act to make it illegal to be homeless is just neat, like, really? You know, and that is what, that sort of thing is what's caused the issues that we've got today. They don't want to support, you know, it's like when I spoke in Parliament the second time, there was a Lord there and he was like, Basically, can we not just move them on? You know, and that spoke volumes to me. I was like, no, because it's not an obligation to move it on. It's an obligation to end it. You know, it's like you're obligated to to stop. They, what they do is they move it on to the next borough The next borrower can't cope. Then they next borough next borough and then they just end up with all these homeless people sleeping rough. You know, and it's just yeah. So I don't think it's top priority. I don't think it's anywhere on the top ten priority list. To be fair. Um, there's just no interest in actually ending
0: it. I mean, I find it extraordinary, Kerry, that you know the Vagrancy Act of 1824 hasn't, in some way, you know, been amended to reflect the fact that the world today is very different to what it was 200 years ago. I mean, it's it's extraordinary to me. Um, what what led you to to being homeless? What what was the journey that took you at the age of 13 to living on the streets?
1: So I was a runaway kid in care, so I fell through the system again. I was, my yeah, so my mum suffers with mental health issues, so she was unable to settle down, she would say. So whenever things got tough, we'd be back and forth between Newcastle and London because my mum was actually born in East London where I was born in Newcastle. So we'd be back and forth. And then when I was 11, I got put into foster care because... Like I said, I've got mental health issues myself, so I've kind of inherited some of those off my mum. And my idea of dealing with my issues is the same as my mum, so run away, run away, run away. So when I went into foster care, I was running away. And then... I would run away up to the West End because back in the 90s, I used to have MTV up there and I loved it. I used to see all the famous people. And I was like, I'm going to be famous one day. And um, I missed to train home and met a load of homeless people that's congregated down on the Charing Cross train station. Um, I mean, I'm talking about 98, 97, 98. So, and they'd all just moved in there from Cardboard City in um, Waterloo. So, and they just, I just felt like I... I I gelled with them. They just felt like they were more family to me than anyone else. They just got me and we were all the same, all cast aside, like old boots, as my granddad used to say. So, yeah, it was... I just felt connected to them and drawn and I just kept running away and ending up down the West End with this group of homeless people that were like my family. Even now, this I still call the people on the streets of West End, my family. It's mad, even though I've been away from it for so long.
0: And, and on the subject of family, tell us about your current situation, because you've
1: got kids, haven't you? I have got kids. So when I was 19, I had a little boy and he was taken for adoption, which broke my heart, sent me wild into deterioration. But then when I was 24 and I got off the streets and everything. Well, no, I was actually 26. I um, had twins so um yeah and now I'm a full-time single parent superhero mum I call myself sometimes because I don't know how I manage protein twins you know they're 12 they're nearly 13 so it's it's a handful but yeah they are awesome and the amazing news is um, my son who was adopted came and found me just over well nearly two years ago so yeah it's all good
0: oh that's amazing that is absolutely amazing um what have you learned? I've, I've been meaning to ask you this question since I saw you on the 22nd of November. What What have you, Kerry Douglas, learnt about people and society uh, during this whole experience? And, and, you know, I'm not talking about the people who see fit to urinate on homeless people um, or, or, you know, sexually abuse others. That's not the type of society that we we ever want to entertain or think about. But in general... Putting aside the political aspects and the lack of support that you've given by the care system and the system in general, which I think we agree is pretty much broken, is there a glimmer of hope for society? Do you see good in people? Have you experienced things that do give us cause to believe that things will improve, that society is fundamentally good?
1: yes I think I mean I've always struggled to trust people but when I now the work I do I see it from a different perspective and I think we come we live in a split society I think there's half of society that's been well all of society that's been conditioned by this belief that homeless people are down and outs and shouldn't be helped whatever but I think now we're we're in a different era for all things anyway you know for removing labels and stuff and I think If anyone's gonna end homelessness, it's the community itself rather than the the politics and the politicians and stuff like that. I think there is hope. Like when, when I do the CEO sleep outs and the next morning after I've spoken and I can see people's mindsets have changed from the night before. Even when we did London, there was a guy that said he used to look really down at homeless people. But after hearing me speak, he was like, he felt so ashamed of himself. And not that I want to be like, yes, but kind of that's what I want to be like, because it's like that's what it's about. It's about changing mindsets and like like Bianca says, unlocking compassion, you know, because that is where we're going to see change is when we when people have got a bit of empathetic understanding towards the issues, towards the stories, you know, it's like. People can look at homelessness from an outside perspective and be like, oh yeah, they're just down and out mate because that's what they've been conditioned to believe. But yet if they stopped and talked to that homeless person and heard their story, where they've come from, how they've ended up there, they'd be like, oh wow. You know, so it's just getting people to stop and think. And as soon as they understand from that other perspective, then that's when we're going to see change because more people will want to help and, I mean, surely the government, even if we shame them into taking accountability, do you know what I mean? It's like, if the people can do it, then why can't you sort of thing? So, yeah, I think looking at society, yeah, it can be quite good, I think.
0: Tell us about the book that you wrote, Kerry, and what, what prompted you to do it? Is is that part of the kind of the educational piece about removing a lot of ignorance? Look, I... Like? I was stood there listening to you speak, very, very eloquently. You did an amazing job on the twenty second of November, but even I stood there. And I'd like to think I'm fairly worldly wise and I've seen it all and done it all, um, and, and, and I and I do think I have that cognitive awareness of societal issues. But even I listened to you and thought, "Wow, I I had no idea." I thought that that drink and drugs was a was a post homelessness pro, uh, problem rather than, in many cases, um, a, a pre a homelessness problem rather than a post-homelessness problem um so for all of us there is a degree of ignorance and so I guess what you're saying is that there needs to be a process of education to remove a lot of that ignorance is that what inspired the book or was it was it a self-help thing for you personally was it unloading the frustrations of the past what what motivated you to write that book and tell us a little bit about it
1: um, so I've always felt that I need to re- write a book. So when the, baby, when the twins were babies, I said to my old key worker, I was like, I really want to write a book because I feel like I just need to get it out there in some of the stories. And then over the years, obviously, being a, um, a single parent to, to little twins was quite time consuming. So it never happened. And then a couple of years ago, back in 2017, I just i was watching hollyoaks and there was a story on hollyoaks about um a girl that had ended up on the streets and stuff and it really like made my heart tweak and i just thought and there were so many things that they missed in that storyline and i just thought nah do you know what i'm gonna write that book you know and part of it was a healing journey and i was just completely vulnerable when i wrote it i just wrote it as as it was i just thought this needs to be just as is, it can't be coated. you know, you need to tell it how it is because they need to understand and all the sugar coating around homelessness needs to end sort of thing. And so I wrote it and then I released it on an ebook and it wasn't really up to scratch. So, and people kept asking me for a paperback. So I went, I edited it, I did some more stuff to it and then put it into a paperback and it went really well. And everyone was like, oh, this is amazing. And then I got invited to some events and then I got invited to parliament so then I had to change the book again to from pavements to parliament which I thought was a perfect title because I literally went from sleeping on the pavement to Piccadilly Westminster to speaking in the houses of parliament you couldn't even make this stuff up so yeah and it but then when I edited it and added the bits of parliament I put some questions and answers in the back to help people to understand from like that different perspective on how they can do stuff differently you know and just a little few tips in there and it's it's now turned into two kinds of things, really. So one part of it is, book is for homeless people to get hope, to see that if if someone like me can get through all that, then you can get through that too sort of thing. You know, nothing is impossible. There is a light at the end of the tunnel if you just have a little patience, persistence, perseverance, all that jazz. And then the other side of it, because it's become quite helpful to services like and people that want to help, it's kind of like an instruction manual on how to deal with people in those situations, you know, so like the actual, cause when you're, when you're going through that stuff, like you don't want to talk about it. You don't want to be vulnerable. So if you're a support worker and you're stuck in that situation, you just don't know how to help because they're not ready to, to see that potential. So then if they've got a, a guide there, that gives them a little bit of a understanding of what this person may be going through it will hopefully help them put a different plan in place to get more like resolution rather than like does, does that does that make sense
0: it does it does you keep i think you keep doubting yourself but you, everything you're saying is uh is very very <laughs> very articulate and very eloquent it all makes perfect sense um, obviously, the, I, I'm going to ask you about the twins and, and, of course, your son that you've now been reunited with, which is amazing. Um, but I guess one of the things that a lot of us don't really stop to think about is the legacy that is created by someone who has spent such a long time on the streets, um, living rough, homeless, as you were, bringing up children in the world, single parent as you are. Oftentimes, uh, those children are born as a result of maybe some kind of sexual abuse. And, and it's kind of breaking the cycle to avoid, as as happened with you, um, mental health issues, following on from your mum's issues, which kind of led to a circumstances which proved very challenging for you. What are you doing as a, as a mum, Kerry, to try and help your children to break that cycle? Because homelessness isn't just about, you know, sweeping everything under the carpet. It's about a, a long-term strategy, right? It's about education, awareness, it's about helping the next generation so that they don't fall into the same kind of um, challenges that many are facing on the streets. Um, is there anything you've thought about, that, you know, the conversations you're having with your children now about your experiences of the past? Are they too little? What have you got in mind? It's a very, very big question, but I just wonder whether you've become aware of the challenges that they may face growing up as they as they have done.
1: Yeah so it's a a tough one because I mean I'm not I'm not the best mum in the world I'm like a i am like I know I say I'm a super mum because I do uni and I do this and that but I do struggle with the twins you know it's like they're going through changes but also my son is displaying behaviours that I had when I was that age so I try and reassure rather than reject so I think there's a chance that he's inherited some of the mental health issues judging by the behaviors you know so I think he's got ADHD but he's also displaying other like depression and stuff like that which is heartbreaking but it's a case of when when I was displaying these things I was rejected and I was cast aside and then passed on to the next person whereas with him I just keep trying to reassure him I love you like we're going to get through this you know and it's just Tapping into the right help, you know, and not being afraid to ask for help. It's not a weakness to ask for help. You know, I, I, if he's got ADHD, I need to access services. So therefore, they need to be helping, you know, so I'll just make sure that he won't fall through the gaps like I did, you know, I won't just palm him off sort of thing. I'll just make sure that I do it properly and I think it's just giving it that love as well you know because for me all I ever wanted was to feel loved by anybody you know palmed around from pillar to post abused in every way possible you know so but I mean I think I've either compensated a little bit as well you know because of that lack of love I had I've been quite soft on them sometimes as well so I think I don't think it doesn't matter where you come from I think or how much you try I, don't, I think there's there's some things that you can't prevent you know so like if it's a mental health issue there's going to be problems but like you say it's handling it differently isn't it and it's i think because i i've gone through the worst case scenario of that side of things i'm aware and i've been exposed to the negative so then i know how to enforce the positive if that makes any but yeah i know that makes sense i'm not gonna even ask <laughs>
0: it does it does make complete sense um so we get a lot of listeners kerry from all different parts of the world And I think the most common question we get is I'm going through a particular challenge in my life at the moment, whether it's alcohol issues, drug related issues, family breakup, severe health or mental uh, challenges or disability, maybe the collapse of a business or just day to day struggles around things like money and uh, family stuff. You know, there's a whole range of different challenges that every, everybody faces from time to time. But what we tend to find is we get these calls for help from people saying, how do I get through? How do I get from one day to another, put one foot in front of another? And I've kind of saved up this question for you because, you know, you are you are the person to ask in terms of dealing with the whole process of putting one foot in front of another, getting through day to day to day with, you know, nothing other than a bit of cardboard and And something to throw over the top of you, wind, rain or or shine. So what advice would you give to people who do find life, whatever that might be, a struggle where they say, can you give me some guidance on how I can get through today?
1: Okay, so when I was younger, my mum always used to say, there's no such word as can't. Okay, so there's no such word as can't. And kind of had that mentality in my brain since I was younger so it's like if I feel like I can't do something i would be like but no there's no such word as can't I can do this you know it's having that can do attitude but then saying that when you're stuck in a rut you can't see that you can't see the flip side so it's it's just I guess just remember that we are all born to overcome anything you know we are born to it, that that saying what doesn't kill you makes you stronger it's it's hang on you know because what may seem like a mess right now will actually be a success tomorrow so you know like when you get through that it's it's hard because I I hate it when people say I'll snap out of it you know like oh it's you're just feeling sorry if it's like well, no, you don't understand what I'm feeling. But then when you when you step out of that and you look back, you think, oh, yeah, do you know what? That person was right. But it's just remembering. I put little pen on my mirrors and stuff, like, reminding me that I am loved. I am cherished and I am this and I am that. So, like, just to remind yourself that you are, like, meant to overcome anything. You know, there's nothing that you can't overcome. And, I mean, yeah, some things hurt. Some things are painful, but there is always a silver lining, always. Like you just got to believe it. You just got to see it for yourself. You know, like the more we doubt, the more negative things happen. But as soon as we start positive mindset, then positive things happen. And I feel like I'm saying a lot of cliche things here, but it's all true. It's just like just remember you can like you can choose to lie in bed all day and be depressed or you can choose to get up, brush your teeth, go for a walk around the block and feel refreshed. You know, it's, we have a choice and if, yeah. The
0: the, the basics to surviving and thriving in life haven't changed over the centuries, Kerry. And anybody that comes to me with a new idea is probably doing it wrong. You know, the, the reality is that as, as long as you stick to the things that we know work, and as you say, it, it's difficult to find positivity in, you know, a really dire day. But as you say, there's always something to cling to. You know, the challenges of course, just to find it. So, you know, what does the the next five years, apart from carrying on being super mum? And I mean, you are far too modest to say you're not the world's best mum. I would argue with that. I think you're the world's best mum from everything I can see, because not too many people have had to deal with what you've had to deal with, and the fact you're bringing up two wonderful, three wonderful kids in the way that you are is is testament to who you are as a person. So. Let's let's not doubt that you are Super mom, no question. But what does the next five years plus look like for, for Kerry Douglas? Um, more speaking engagements, more awareness around homelessness. Um what's what's the life mission?
1: So basically removing the stigma, but not just around homelessness, around substance abuse, mental health, because people don't realise it's all connected some way, shape or form. So basically, I mean, I've just started a new website called Drop the Label. I'm still trying to put it all together properly and trying to get my idea of what I want to happen. But basically, I just want to be the change I want to see and and, and create an army of like minded, empathetic people that are going to go out and, and help just spread the message that it's okay to be different it's okay to be um stuck in circumstances it doesn't define who we are as people you know and it's like rather than judge the circumstance let's help the people sort of thing does that make sense yeah i oh, i've got a habit of saying does that make sense all
0: right well after after today you will know that everything you you say makes sense and and i just want to pick up on on something you said about the little notes you write to yourself on the mirror where you remind yourself that you are loved. I, I'm gonna speak for for a very substantial number of listeners to this podcast because already before the close of this podcast today, you you will have inspired and motivated and given and given hope to an awful lot of people, Kerry. So that so you are loved now by a considerably greater number of people uh than before today's podcast. Let me make that very, very clear. We will be absolutely inundated with emails and request to connect with you. So, so keep an eye on your social media uh, platforms. Um, so I, I just want to pick up very quickly on before I ask you a couple of final questions. Um, is is homelessness the problem? Because I, 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 you mentioned something just now that really resonated with me in my mind. Is homelessness really the problem or is it the things that lead to homelessness that is the problem? And if so, what as a society can we do to support you in all the work that you're doing
1: so the problem is not homeless homelessness it's the lack of empathy within services it is the lack of it's there's just a lot of lack shall we say you know so when people go to a service they've got to go through this 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 hoop that hoop this hoop that hoop and it'll be determined on your mental health or your your ability to to hold down a tendency, blah 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 and then you get you get told whether they're going to help you or not like they're going to give you the the answer of if you're intentionally homeless or not intentionally homeless and then and then that's the end of that so then they're but then they're not even looking at the fact that this person has been evicted because of the mental health issues or because they've been and got into the wrong crowd. So then they are struggling with antisocial behaviour. You know, there's all these elements to why someone would get evicted in the first place that they're not looking at. So there's no wraparound support. And that's where the issue lies, because they put, you know, even to get someone off the streets and into a hostel, that person's not necessarily going to stay in that hostel because they need a lot of complex support. So they may have um, mental health issues, substance abuse issues, and like budgeting problems where they can't pay their rent, et cetera, et cetera. So there's so many different things that have led to them being in that situation in the first place. So no, they have to go further back. I think it's all about early intervention, but rather than waiting for them to get to the lowest point and then saying, oh, well, we can't do anything for you now. Well, you should have dealt with it right at the beginning when they like came to you with a mental health issue or or a need for support in some area, you know? So, you know, it's definitely, homelessness is the last resort, if you ask me.
0: So, uh, final couple of questions, Kerry, and thank you for sharing so openly. I know, you know, these conversations are very difficult, even though you've probably had them many, many times. Um, how do people connect with you? I, I mean, I, I know that we've connected on social media already, but how do people connect with you? Is there a website? Um, obviously you can tell us where to find the book. Is it available on Amazon or another platform? The Any website, any social media, Instagram, Twitter, anything like that, how do people find, find you?
1: So, yeah, I've, like I said, I've just started a website called dropthelabel.co.uk. It's There's a few bits on there, but it's a work in progress. There's also a link to the book on there too. And um, yeah, just basically normal social media, Facebook, Instagram, Kerry Douglas. And LinkedIn is my main platform that I use, to be honest.
0: Great. And the final question I have for you, Kerry, which we ask all of our guests without exception, uh, is a very simple one. But thinking about your three wonderful children, they sit down one day, they pin you in a corner of the room and they say, right, mum, with all of these uh, incredible experiences you've had, good and bad, uh, all of the things you've had to deal with, all the highs, all the lows, in terms of us forming our own path, creating our own journey in life, if there was one single piece of advice you could give to the three of us, to help us navigate life, to get the best from it, above all other rules and mantras for living, what would the one single piece of advice be that would be, in your mind, Kerry, greater than all of the others? If there was just one. Well,
1: wow. <laughs> that's really hard. It's
0: not a trick question. It's not a trick question, um, and it, I, I appreciate it. it's a difficult one to ask. Is it? You know, is it self-belief? Is it um,
1: know that you're loved. Just know that you're loved and I will support them through anything that they ever need to do, you know. And it's okay to fall as long as you get back up again. Love
0: that. That's that's a that's a a great answer, and and actually one we've not had from any of the podcast guests before. And I think, you know, it's all too easy to forget that one fundamental human need, which is which is to be loved. So I, I think this is a great opportunity to remind all the listeners that, you know, that is something that we should all be reconnecting with you know telling somebody we love them or accepting love from somebody else unconditionally so great answer and every answer you've given I know you've doubted yourself all the way through because you're just a lovely modest person but um, it's been absolutely wonderful speaking to you so you know humbling and awe-inspiring but educational at the same time and I, I can only add that I hope everyone listening from every different part of the world because homelessness isn't just a London problem it's just not a UK problem it exists in many, many different parts of the world. Hopefully, everyone listening can do their own thing, whether it's passing on, you know, that uh, that newfound awareness of homelessness and all of its challenges, or maybe, you know, with some fundraising or some community work to help on your life's mission to, to end homelessness, whether that happens in our lifetime or whether it doesn't. Um, kudos to you, Kerry, for all that you're doing. And uh, on behalf of everyone listening to the podcast, thank you so much for being a real torchbearer for, um, for a society within a society, and it's a society that is all too often forgotten and overlooked. So um, well done, congratulations, and keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. Um, and, and with that little thank you, all I can do is to thank all of you for uh, listening to the Sandra Forte podcast. Uh, she is, Kerry Douglas, is absolutely wonderful. And as you know, during the in- introduction today, I did say that when I met Kerry, I simply had to have her on the Sandra 40 podcast. and Now you know why. Uh, We do have a new guest each week joining us on the Sandra 40 podcast, talking about life successes or overcoming life challenges. And one of the things that we're going to do as a little thank you to Kerry and to all of you for liking and sharing as we ask you to do uh, the Sandra 40 podcast and talking to friends about it. If you like and you share uh, the episode with Kerry Douglas, we will be giving away five copies of Kerry's book. She doesn't know that, but we're going to buy five copies of Kerry's book and we are going to be giving it away to five lucky listeners who like and share. Uh, chosen at random, you know the way these little things work. And if you have an email question for us, it's hello at sandrospodcast.com. You can connect, of course, with Kerry Douglas directly if you would like to. And finally, do connect with me. It's at Sandro Forte on Twitter and the real sandroforte on Instagram. And of course, uh, tune in this time next week for another guest. Thank you again for joining us from wherever you are in the world. But most importantly, special thanks to Kerry Douglas and her amazing family. Uh, Let's hope she continues to do all these wonderful things, not just for her wonderful kids, but also for society generally. So thank you all once again. See you this time next week.